Welcome to another edition of the Weekend Update and riding an eight-game win streak and joining me as he does every week, it is John Kraft. How's it going, Kraft? It's going very well. I love win streaks and I love us taking care of business against teams that we're supposed to win. The Grizzlies are 28 and 13 on the season, exactly halfway through. Second in the conference, tied for second in the entire league. They have an offensive rating of 114.2, which is good for ninth in the NBA. 109.3 defensive rating per NBA.com, which brings them back down to second only by two-tenths of a point. Net rating at a 5.0, which is second in the NBA. And the point differential per cleaning the glass is actually 6.1. They've been holding steady at second in the NBA on cleaning the glass. And we should note, our last 10-game prediction, we had 7-3 and three, uh, as the prediction for both. And we uh, actually finished 8-2 and two in the last 10. Oh. So love being wrong in that way. Yeah. Started off rough with, with two losses, but then came back with eight wins, so... Yeah, so we're going to talk about the three wins from this past week. We're going to preview the upcoming week, which has four games that are all going to be really interesting. But first, we're going to start with the news. You want to start us off, John? Sure. So um, so Brandon Clark has now missed six games in a row uh, with hip soreness, and so I don't I'm, – I'm still – I mean, it seems like from talking – uh, from kind of hearing different news sources and things, that this is definitely a situation where they're just holding him out as a precaution. Um, you know, they have Tillman, who's come in and been fine uh, to help kind of replace Brandon's minutes. And and so this kind of feels like it's an injury that we shouldn't be worried about. But obviously, uh, in the past, when we started to have injuries linger like this for many games, sometimes you get this dreaded, uh, you know, up medical update that, that ends up making it longer. At this point, I don't feel like that's what it is, but I would definitely um, – I look forward to hopefully seeing soon a, a doubtful or a questionable next to Brandon Clark's name. So what do you think? Yeah, I did see a report that said he – this was last week. They said that he was expected to be back next week. So we're fully expecting, based on all the reporting that's been done up to today, that Brandon Clark should be back uh, by this week, when we're not sure. Uh, usually, players don't go from being completely out to completely available. We do have, like you said, a doubtful or questionable designation beforehand. Brandon Clark has uh, picked the best time in the world to be injured, though, for six games because obviously the schedule hasn't been amazing, and the Grizzlies have also been playing pretty well, even despite the bad schedule. And so. I think that when he comes back, he'll fit very nicely. He'll hopefully be all the way recovered because, as we mentioned on the last podcast, athleticism is such an important part of his game. So you can't have any hip soreness and be as effective as you want to be if you're Brandon Clark. So, you know, hold him out as long as we need. Uh, We just hope that it doesn't linger to the extent to where he would need any actual procedures done. Yeah, I definitely would like him back soon because I think I'm really uh, looking forward to what seems to be starting out quarters with kind of a Zaire, Clark, Jaron, mega-long, mega-athletic sort of switching defensive group that, uh, that, that gets me pretty excited uh, about that bench unit. Um, and so hopefully he'll be back soon and kind of we can see what his chemistry with Zaire and Jaron are like. Desmond Bain was on J.J. Reddick's podcast, and it, it dropped, I believe, this morning. Uh, both of us ha- have listened to this, and it was a pretty – 
revealing episode. I also wanted to note, this is the second time that Bane has been on Reddick's podcast. And I thought just him, in terms of his charisma and the way that he was talking, you can tell he has uh, not only matured in terms of his game, but he's matured in terms of his interviewing. Because I just thought overall it was a really entertaining interview from the start. And there were a few key news items that we're going to get to that he revealed on the podcast. But what did you think about uh, Bane on, on JJ's podcast overall? Yeah, that's the first, you know, the one of the first things that I noticed too, just kind of overall thought was that Bane is very good at this. And especially for somebody who's 24 and and like he it, and it like it makes me feel like he might have the lead as the present grizzly with the kind of future uh, analyst, you know, content creator personality potential. Uh, just seems like he's very good at talking about the game. Uh, him and Reddick were using all sorts of funny, uh, the funny floppy type terms, and uh, and just a, it's just a great interview. It's just a really good interview. He just uh, seems like he's very good in that setting on TV, on you know, on video, on audio. So, so that definitely stuck out for sure. Yeah, the thing that was making its rounds online, and I knew as soon as I heard it that it was going to be a story. Was he said that the bone, his sesamoid bone, that was what was I guess detailed out in the second round of injury reports that we got during Bain's absence was his bone is still broken. So he said it's in two pieces. And he's essentially just managing it and that there could be something done after the season, but that overall he's fine. I think that kind of tracks with how we've been uh, watching Bain in the last two weeks as he's ramped up and, and started back on his train to getting, getting, you know, he was elite in the first part of the season. And now he's, he, he's had great games in the last few, but you can definitely tell he's moving a bit. He was moving a bit slower and still recovering. What did you think about about that? Yeah, so I mean, I, I definitely am glad that this that this podcast didn't come out a week ago because I think I would have been way more alarmed uh, just because this last week he had, and we'll talk about that here coming up, was really good. Uh, he kind of came back to his shooting ways. He looked really good, looked much more spry uh, than he has in the past, and so it looked almost like the old Bane. Um, I don't know if it was 100%, but it was pretty close. And so in that sense, uh, I'm a little less alarmed. I mean, you know, it's funny because they I don't know if if basically they talked before the podcast, like, here's what I'll say, but no more. Because I definitely would have had, you know, as a Grizzlies fan, I probably had 500 follow ups to his talking about that. Uh, But it seems like the way Bain was acting made it feel like it's not a big deal. Like, hey, this is just this is what you when you're a professional basketball player, you deal with these sort of things. And I'm great now, but it's something that I'm probably going to have to, you know, that I'm going to get worked on in the off season. Um, but, you know, as a sort of longtime Grizz fan, we know uh, with with people like Conley with ankle issues, Marcus Saul with with stomach and foot issues, uh, like going in the playoffs that we just seemed like whenever we became sort of had a contender feel about us there was always just our good players had lingering injuries and would they flare up with the brutal playoff schedule? And I think that is um, for the anxious Grizzlies fans out there, which I can be, even though I come across super optimistic. I think that uh, that is just a worry because the concern is, Hey, it's great now, but maybe March and April when they have a string of games that are tough and he's playing a little bit extra minutes or even worst case scenario, 
you know, first, second round of the playoffs when we're asking 35 to 40 minutes from him of just full, all, all-out all effort, games are every other night, that there's just, it becomes unmanageable. And he flares up so much that basically he can barely move. And, and that's, you know, that's the fear. I think uh, out there, and of course, if we get the bang we've got the last week, I I feel great about it. If he thinks that's the way he can play, but that is, I mean, so to me, it's definitely a concern. And and we talked last week about on the, you know, about trades and some other things. And this is, you know, one thing. Uh, and I again, we try to trust the front office. They've not given us reason to doubt them yet. But I do get cons- I do wonder if we need to make a trade. Uh, along the margins, maybe just for some bane, like get a shooter just for kind of bane insurance, whether we need to rest him some down the stretch of the season or, or, you know, you know, worst case scenario, he has to miss a game or two in the playoffs. Yeah. And I think to your point there should, we have plenty of guys off the bench who can backfill and do some of the uh, tertiary parts of Bane's game, but we don't have a guy whose primary skill is scoring and three-point shooting, and I think having somebody who could backfill that would be important. Another detail from the podcast, in the first five minutes, he's, he used the phrase care factor, and I love that that's yes. – Jenkins has totally um, – just that term has rubbed off on his the entire team, yeah. and I think that's uh, becoming a core identity of our squad. And I think overall I wouldn't be surprised to hear that term now used more broadly – um, as as the Grizzlies players continue to use it, and so does Jenkins. So that was a, yeah, a fun little wrinkle. It's always awesome when players uh, kind of quote the coaches because you know that means they're on the same page. Uh, you know, one of the things that I loved about uh, – one of the things that I found super interesting was talking about Dylan Brooks. There was a couple things uh, that I think I definitely want to talk, get your opinion on. But, but two things he talked about Dylan Brooks that were super interesting to me. One was uh, – uh, JJ Redick was kind of asking him about Dylan and how the how the team views him and how they deal. I mean, and out you know asked him like, how do you deal with his offensive you know inefficiencies and things like that. And and I found it interesting that he kind of uh, repeated sort of the what, what Chris Vernon theory that's kind of been made famous of Dylan was sort of kind of has been uh, ruined in some ways or corrupted by the tanking year the Grizzlies had where they basically just put him out there and let him take 25 to 30 shots a game, you know, didn't really have a system. It was definitely, we were playing kind of roll the ball out there and go for it. And that, uh, and that Dylan has always kind of had that, uh, has always struggled with kind of wanting to take over games, not feeling, uh, you know, just not having care with the shots that he takes and and I you know and, and it's interesting to hear Bain, his teammate, say that yeah, Dylan struggles with this because of that season. I mean, it was very interesting to hear that. But it was also very interesting to hear him say, you know, that obviously if he's aware of it, Dylan's aware of it, and they and they talk about it. And 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 what I thought was really cool was he was saying, you know, nobody on the team uh, gets thinks that he's some kind of ball hog. Oh, it's a contract year. I'm trying to get my stats. They know he shoots because he's a competitor and he wants to win. And I'll definitely take that. I know personally, I would take that anytime over somebody who's chasing stats. And that's why I've always probably had a soft spot for Dylan, even though his shots can frustrate me. Yeah. What did you think about that? Oh, I thought it was more revealing than any answer that a Grizzly has given about pretty much anything, except for maybe some of the more inflammatory jaw comments, you know, about proclamations of where the Grizzlies stand as right now. And I think that 
having both sides of the coin was really wise of Bain, where he, he knew the source of the problem, which a lot of times when you interview players, coaches, things like that, the, what the media will get in terms of an answer is, you know, yeah, he's a, he's a great competitor. He's just going to go out there and try every night, and that's kind of who he is. And Basically not answering the question, but just, you know, having coach or player speak. But he answered the question honestly and turned around a little bit later in the podcast when they asked him about who the heartbeat of the team was, and he said it was Dylan Brooks. And so you have you have this complete awareness of the weaknesses involved in Dylan's game, and yet he is still able to command the soul of the team and is the chief motivator, it sounds, in a, in, both on the court, maybe off of it too. Bain actually also said that he himself was the one who talked the most in the huddles, which I would not necessarily have guessed. Uh, it would have been more uh, on, on line with my expectations if it was a jaw or a Dylan maybe who was talking the most in the huddle. Right. Or even somebody like a, a Danny Green, you know, somebody who is more of a coach. But the fact that Bain is the one who's saying he, he's talking a lot as well, you know, that was really interesting to me. And I think it's no. a it's really the sign of a healthy team when you're able to have honest feedback and yet at the same time back your guy up to the extent that Bain did in the interview. Yeah. And I think it's almost, I mean, I, you know, I think there's, there's always kind of like famous stories out there of really great defensive players like Matumbo, like Ben Wallace and how teams would always try to get them a couple posts early to kind of get them excited. And I think uh, because they knew they needed them on defense and on the boards. And I think with Dylan, there is an aspect to just hearing, Bain that they really appreciate what he brings to the floor defensively and and just competitively and obviously he's a way better offensive player than somebody like a Ben Wallace but I think they have a feeling like you know we'll take we'll take you know a Dylan heat check from time to time if it means that he get what you know because of what he gives us on the defensive end and they don't they don't seem to mind it you know so as much as uh, us and especially like kind of NBA bloggers and analytics people out there just uh, pull their hair out about Dylan's shot selection. It doesn't seem like it, it doesn't seem like it frustrates the team in, in a major way, and it's something. But it is something they also address and talk about, I guess, in film sessions and things like that for sure. I love how puzzled Bain was about the whole Clarkson situation. That just cracked yes. me up. He was like, "Yeah, I mean, we were just talking like anybody would playing out there, and then all of a sudden I get hit. Like, what was going on there?" And then uh, the other detail I would. Definitely recommend you go and listen. Is is Bain and Reddick sort of nerding out on some shooting stuff, especially about Bain's uh, off-season workouts and how movement yeah. shooting was the part that he was trying to add to his game, especially in the pick and roll, and just you know basically yeah. not only becoming a better playmaker and getting used to actions being run for him, but you know how do I evolve from being more than just a spot up guy? And I think it was really cool to hear them talk about that. Yeah, I just think, I mean, it, it, uh, you know, I think Brantley, uh, you know, was texting about how just listening to that podcast just put a smile on his face. And I think that's kind of the way. And so I would definitely recommend any Grizzlies fan to go out and listen to the whole thing because I think it will just make you excited, you know, that we have a guy like Bain who I just know that next summer he's going to be working on something new. He's a gym rat. He's going to want to get better. Um, and also just listening to him talk about that, again, made me so excited about the potential that one of these summers, Jaron might actually be able to have that kind of summer where he's injury-free and can put in that kind of work on some, on some part of an, his like offensive game. 
Um, you know, and we'll get to how good he's been, but just, uh, that, that also is being signed. Then one other little small note that I made and it was real quick was that they, um, I think it was Tommy Alter, the guy who does it with JJ Reddick, but kind of talked about getting punked by the Warriors and Bain said, yeah, we were punked. And, uh, and it's funny. I don't, I mean, it was such a small little moment, but the way he said it, it just made me think I cannot wait for January 25th when we go back to Golden State, uh, that I do think that the team, uh, is ready to play them again. Let's put it that way. It just, it felt that way. And I, I liked that he admitted, you know, we did not bring our best game and they showed us up on national TV and uh, anyway, just made me excited. But that was that was a little moment. But that was one other thing I took away. Last news item: it was tweeted out about five minutes before we started recording by DeMichael Cole that Danny Green last week started doing five on five work, and there's no clear timetable that has been set yet. But I mean, five on five work—that's one of the final stages that you reach before you're you're truly ramped up and ready to go. I thought that was a very big development, especially given the timing that we're now less than a month from the trade deadline and about a month and some change away from the all-star break when initially Danny Green himself said he expects to be back. What do you think about that tweet? Yeah, so I'm, that's, it's, I think it's exciting news. Uh, you know, I think that if there's any chance of us getting a feel for where Danny Green is before the trade line, uh, trade deadline, that would be amazing. I know we really won't be able to. I mean, even if he came back to, uh, tomorrow night, I don't think we'd have enough. But uh, just getting something and some feel uh, of where he is, uh, and maybe they're going to, you know, and obviously they're going to start getting that with five on five. I mean, you know, like the Danny Green who was in the playoffs last year shooting 40%, uh, in six games from three and playing very good quality team defense, even at his age. Uh, I mean, that is an amazing person to have for the playoffs. Just, you just never know with uh, these kind of injuries. Um, you know, one thing that, that does sort of out there that kind of concerns me is just how the Grizzlies do with him. If he is going to come back in the next couple of weeks, it'll be interesting to watch how the Grizzlies deal with that because obviously uh, we've had a bad past experience of the Grizzlies sort of forcing Justice Winslow into the rotation, and it really messed us up for a while. And of course, that was that was substituting in for Tyus Jones, who had a very, uh, I think, a very entrenched part uh, in the in the team in a way that like a Conchar uh, maybe doesn't, you know. And also Conchar kind of, I think is a guy one of the reasons that his value is that he's okay with whatever role you put him in but it'll be interesting to see how they kind of deal with that with having another player uh with, with who can be in a rotation and maybe not playing and who's been played some minutes and so it'll, that'll be interesting and that's going to be sort of an interesting thing to see last week the grizzlies defeated the utah jazz 123 to 118 they defeated the Spurs the next night, 121 to 113, and then they defeated the Spurs again two nights later, 135 to 129. John, where would you like to start with these three games? A lot went on. Yeah, why don't we why don't we take the Utah game um, and then uh, just and then we can kind of we can kind of cover the Spurs game. They were two different games, but we can kind of cover them sort of together. And, and you know, unfortunately, they they kind of blend together. That's the one negative about playing the same team back to back, especially when the outcome was basically the same. Uh, they kind of blend together. But um, but let's let's go ahead and talk about Utah. Yeah. So Ja and Stephen Adams were both out. That was the 
the headline to me of the game. So you had Xavier Tillman uh, slot in, who's been playing some backup minutes with Brandon Clark out, but now he was slotted into the starting lineup. He, Tyus Jones, started in place of Ja. And to me, the big story of the night was Tyus Jones truly controlling the game to the extent that Will Hardy afterwards, who's the Utah Jazz coach, said that they were game planning the same way with Tyus on the floor just as they would with Jaw on the floor. So there's just as much respect from a Utah standpoint with how Tyus plays in our offense. And I think he just played an excellent game. I thought yeah. uh, Tillman held his own, almost had a double-double. And then this is when we saw Bain actually come back, yeah. shot four for seven from three. And this is the first time that I've felt like Bain made yeah. his way back to what he – could be and what he showed us he he will be hopefully uh down the line as he fully recovers so what do you think overall about those performances i mean the thing you know the one of the stats that jumped out was not just bane's 24 points on that great three-point shooting like you said but nine assists uh which is you know which was a career high um and so you know the we this was the orlando game you know the the game before that he'd gotten a career high of nine rebounds and coming back in the next game and getting career high of nine assists, you know, one, that's just that like a hundred percent healthy Bane, no concern Bane, beginning of the season Bane, we would be excited about nine assists because that was sort of that playmaking element. Uh, but to see it now with the shooting, um, you know, I just think 24, nine, I mean, that that's an incredible stat line for Bane. Uh, so that was, that was super exciting. Uh, I think the, the another kind of note was we had, we had wondered, uh, last week about sort of the Roddy Zaire uh, pecking order. And in this game made it pretty clear that Zaire is ahead of Roddy in the pecking order. And so the, the, the minutes that Roddy was getting in the game before was more just kind of a, I think an injury precaution with Zaire kind of limiting his minutes on all these back to backs. So, so you kind of had Zaire definitely taking that backup wing role uh, from Roddy. So that was another thing. And then, you know, Jaron five blocks, I mean, it just is getting ridiculous. And uh, and I'll just go ahead and say it here. Uh, you know, I tweeted it out. We don't always throw out my, my Twitter handle, but at John Crafty. Uh, but I tweeted out a clip from uh, Nate Duncan's podcast, uh, Dunked on Pod. And, and there's a paywall, but this was a free one. And they just put out this amazing stat. And in fact, it's so amazing. I've listened to two other podcasts that have quoted that, <laughs> that one. And the fact that when Jaron... Uh, contest shots, opponents shoot 40% at the rim. And and so just to think about that, like rim shots, that is the shot you want because they're dunks, layups. It's the most, it's the highest percentage shot you can get in basketball. And and when Jaron is contesting them, uh, people shoot 40% at the rim. And, and not to put that in perspective, Rudy Gobert in his best defensive player of the year seasons were like low fifties, like 52, 53% at the rim. Uh, they're like, when we're looking at NBA records, like all time greats, uh, since, you know, these kind of stats have been recorded the last 30, 40 years. Uh, like I think 48, 49% is the best of all time. And Jaron right now is at 40. And, and as they mentioned, and I, I agree, there's no way it's going to stay at that. 
but that is just an unbelievable that when people have are next to the rim with the basket, they have a less than 50% chance of making it. And then the, the, the even more amazing thing they put out, and this has actually gotten even better after this week, but that's, uh, but they put out that people have made, when that happens, people have made only 56 field goals that he's contested, but he has blocked 69 shots. And of course those blocks have gone up and the field goals have gone up just a little bit too, but um, and so that means that when people are near the rim with the basketball, not only are they only hitting it 40% of the time, they have a greater chance of it getting blocked than uh, of them actually making it, which is just, you know, an unbelievable statistic. Uh, and, and so it, we truly are like when we, tr- when we talk about Jaron and again, you know, still he's 23, lot of stuff to work on. Um, but it is unbelievable that we're literally witnessing sort of a historic run of rim protection that we've never seen. I uh, like, and I mean, it's hard. I try not to get hyperbolic, but I mean, it, the stats back up that that's the case. And it's just crazy uh, that, that we have somebody who's like this and that he's only 23 and we have him on an unbelievable contract for another three years after this one. So anyway, that's yeah. my Jaron little rant again, Jaron 12 games now in a row with multiple blocks uh, and of notes in the jazz. And then the first Spurs game, Two of those blo- he had, he had two blocks in each case in the first quarter, and you know he in the Jazz game he ended up with five. Uh, so you know obviously he blocks more. But one things that he said is the dif- dif- uh, differential between first half blocks versus second half blocks. You can see that they're trending downwards, and it's not because Jaron's playing worse. It's because they're stopping. No. They, they stop no. driving. There's there's stop stop no. penetration, and they're not going to go near Jaron when he's at the rim. And so no. it's almost like, and then you could see it's funny too because you look at the the uh, second Spurs game and you see that he didn't have any blocks in the first quarter, and that's because they had still had PTSD from the first game yes. when that happened. And so yeah. I think it's really fun to see a, a new team that hasn't played the Grizzlies in a while right. get so surprised yeah. by what's happening to them because Jaron at times is you know eight feet away when he makes his initial lunge. And then all of a sudden he's there in a second. And so it's just really, really fun uh, to see. And it just makes you laugh. Like you can't do anything but just laugh. And it's unbelievable. I mean, it's, I mean, it's amazing to see. uh, I mean, I fortunately got to go to a couple of the games and like just in person, you see that happen. I mean, you see teams just stop going in the paint or you see guys get the ball in the paint Jaron's like may not even be in the game and they're like kind of looking around uh, like where is he coming from uh, because that really is uh, I mean it, people are really uh, he affects the game in that way and it, it is really crazy and and I even think uh, you know it's funny because I, what you said about the Spurs game I think that's true and I think like uh, the Grizzlies you know we've talked about sort of their opponent three-point field goal uh, shooting sometimes especially on the road and I think almost <laughs> there's a point where we might have to start uh, almost funneling more people to him off the line because I think we start getting people put up so many threes us, on us in the second half that just statistically people start making them um, because they just just start chunking threes because they just don't even try to get in the paint anymore. So, it, but it's anyway all that. I mean, that's that would be a good problem to have, but uh, but it's it's just great. It's yeah. Crazy. One thing uh, I noticed too is you know it, it was it was fortunate that we were playing the Jazz out of all people when Stephen was hurt. Or excuse me, when Stephen, I think he was ill actually, um, yeah. but because their five was Kelly Olynyk, who isn't necessarily a bruiser, and and most of Jaron's blocks have come from the weak side when he's maybe actually guarding 
you know, from the corner and then and sprints over when he sees an opportunity. And the reason we can do that, the reason Jaron has that luxury to rove is because we have Steven Adams to guard the true fives, and then Jaron can sort of play off ball in that way. So I thought it was fortunate that we played Utah, who, besides, I mean, Walker Kessler's having a great rookie season, and when right. he came in, he had six blocks of his own. Yeah, um, no, and he, he started intimidating us a little bit. He did what Jaron does to other teams every night. He did it to us a little bit. I mean, I was actually kind of – uh, and, you know, I never know, wonder about strategies with teams, uh, but I was actually shocked he didn't play more in the second half because I actually thought he gave them great uh, first half minutes, like really good. Yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed, and we can sort of blend now into the San Antonio games, mm-hmm. this stretch was defined by second quarters. Like if you look yes. at the three second quarters uh, from each game, we averaged 41 points. And so you see, you know, 43 in the second quarter against the Jazz, 37 in the second game or in the first game against the Spurs, and then 44 in the second quarter uh, on Wednesday night. And I think that is interesting because, you know, the starters, they're going to play a lot in the first quarter. And then usually the second quarter, especially with Ja, he's going to rest for the first six, seven minutes of of the quarter. And so then I think it's notable that we take Bain and Jaron out first and then they're coming back in and playing with the backups. And so, you know, the second quarter is usually – the third quarter is usually where the Grizzlies have been making their money so far this season. But it's really notable that, to me, it shows how high our ceiling is with our depth, that they can actually beat the teams in the second quarter and then sort of nurse that lead as it gets going in the third and the fourth and uh, punch teams in the mouth that way. So it's been really interesting to see this week us thrive in the second quarter. The NFL playoff picture is locked in, and my go-to place for wild card round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wild card round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action so good, why bet NFL playoffs anywhere else? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, that's, you know, sort of if you go back to last season, especially on the probably the last 30, 20, 30 games of the season, that was sort of our recipe for just blowing team out after team out is that our starters would get leads and then our bench would come in and not just hold it down, but they would extend the lead even more. And I think, uh, you know, and, and maybe you, you saw, it, you know, maybe you disagree with this, but I, but in a, I think in a three game stretch where our starters definitely were in professional win mode as far as, uh, trying to pace themselves a little bit again, you know, all these back to backs in a row. Uh, there was definitely a sense of we're better than this team. We're going to win, but we're just we can't give the kind of effort uh, and actually, you know, last. Like it was kind of like it was it was definitely more of a marathon than a sprint this week. I felt from our starters, and so that was one thing that was exciting about the bench really pushing out leads. You know, so that like so that even though the games the second half kind of got a little tighter than I wanted them to, and all three of these games. We came. In, we went in with a very comfortable halftime lead. That kind of felt like okay, we can we can kind of coast. You know, I was a little frustrated, especially in the Monday night Spurs game. We coasted a little too much. Almost got. You know, I think if uh, if the Spurs in Monday's game, and we actually were down five in the fourth quarter, 
uh, and I actually sometimes, you know, there's a part of me that wonders if the Spurs were like still trying to be a play in team, uh, if some substitution patterns and some other things might have might have been different, and that might have been a that might have been a loss. We might have gotten caught that game. Um, that was the one of the three that I felt like we kind of really just sort of uh, barely got it. But it was again, it was a back to back, you know, after five back to backs in a row. So I don't know. Yeah, I think the theme, I was looking across all three, and I think the theme of this week is great teams do what they need to do to win games like these. And if you look at all three, what I saw is in the first game, we're missing our starting point guard, starting center, and the first big off the bench, Brandon Clark. So we're shorthanded. We found a way to win because of our depth. And we have a guy like Tyson. Tyce Jones, who the Jazz step are a up. good team too. Yeah, yeah. they're they're a 500 team who wasn't who was expected to be tanking, and they have a potential All Star on their roster, and a lot of great complementary pieces, and they play well together. And so that showed our depth in the first Spurs game. We're hit, we're playing a bad team on the second night of a back to back when you're very much tempted not to give the effort. And at times, Jaron actually there was a game story written afterwards, I believe, by Drew Hill. You know, Jaron was yelling, wake up to the guys at one point. Um, I believe it wasn't either the second or the third quarter because the defense had been lacking. The Spurs went on a 22 to five run at one point in the second half. And so it shows you, you know, we need effort and that's how we win. That's what you showed in the first first game. And the third, the third game of the week was about Ja coming back. And, and it was actually a clutch game at one point late and we have the superstar. So we can win in three different ways. We can out-effort you. We can out-depth you. And we have a superstar yeah. who's going to be the best player on the floor a lot of times now in, in just about any matchup we're going to play. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that – well said. I mean, I think that's perfect. I mean, I think that's kind of kind of what it did. I mean, I get a little frustrated. I don't uh, – that – you know, I would have liked to have seen us blow – like have a 30-point blowout against the Spurs in one of these two games. But at the same time, a win's a win. And, I, and, and you know, the, the context of the bigger season – Uh, I think that matters. And I also think, you know, it's hard to play any team twice in a row. They kind of start seeing your stuff and they're going to start stopping things you like. Uh, One other just like off note, I do think you mentioned Louis Markkinen, who is going to be an all-star. He's had a great season. But just another strange matchup, like a wing who's like seven feet. And guess who guarded him? Dylan guarded him. And Dylan did a very good job on him. In fact, you know, I think that was part of the Spurs issue with us is I think – they don't really have anybody <laughs> to, to occupy uh, Dylan's sort of uh, excitement. And I think that when Dylan is not geared up to for a specific matchup, he can kind of get uh, he can kind of start hunting shots a little bit more than to my liking. And then he kind of I mean, and what you know, I mean, and the biggest was in, in that game, you know, on Tuesday, I mean, on Wednesday, just getting beat for a back door by McDermott that fortunately Stephen Adams blocked. But that could have made the game. I think it would have made the game like a one or two point game with like a minute and a half left, and uh, and so fortunately, fortunately, Stephen Adams blocked it, and then we were fine. And, you know, and I didn't ever thought we were going to lose that game, but but it just was like kind of a very uneven effort from Dylan against in the two Spurs games in comparison to what he did. But I, he did play great against the Jazz, I thought, uh, and especially you know guarded another weird, you know, just a, another player that's very different uh, than the player he guarded the night before. So. Yeah, props to Dylan on that Laura Marketing matchup, but we do have to be honest about his his performances in the Spurs matchups because yeah. he really didn't I mean, he shot one of his worst percentages in, in actually both games. And I thought especially in the second game, there was something weird going on with him. Uh the effort level is definitely off, and I thought it was one of the worst games of the season for Dylan. Yeah. Luckily for sure. In both of those games, 
we shot over 40%. So we shot 42% from three in the first game and actually over 60% in the second game. And so, it, you know, when we don't have it in one respect, we, we somehow find a way right. to, to finally shoot well. And I thought that played a very big part. And a lot of that, too, was just having Bain back. And it, it's nice to have a uh, elite three-point shooter who can maybe mask some of the bad shots taken by other teammates. And at the end of the day, you know, wins solve everything. And so Dylan was overdue, I think, for a couple nights off. Now, I would have liked to see him maybe defer. He had a great pass on a pick-and-roll to Steven Adams where Steven had one of his biggest dunks of the year. And, yeah. You know, we can also mention another giant dunk by John Morant, who at this point has just baptized Pirtle, uh now <laughs> twice. And, uh, you know, Pirtle is one of those guys who I kind of respect because he's going to he's gonna challenge uh, guys yeah. at the rim no matter what. Like, Pirtle is probably the least affected by by uh, both John Morant dunks uh, overall. But at the same time, it's really fun to, to see Ja uh, no. dissect the play and uh, know exactly what he has. And it's just ironic that it was on yeah. Pirtle twice. No, I mean, you know, and it is it is funny to see, like, um, how um, going back to Ja two years ago in the playoffs, uh, playing against the Jazz and, and sort of struggling a little bit to figure out the drop coverage with Gobert and all those sorts of things. And now it's just – I mean, if if a team comes out and is playing drop coverage, I just think, well, John's going to have thirty to forty points tonight, and uh, you know, and it just that that he just John seems to have mastered uh, drop coverage, and there's just you have no chance. A backpedaling big is what John dreams about. Yes, yeah, and and especially dunking on them. Absolutely. Is there anything <laughs> else you want to hit? Uh, from these uh, well, matchups? I think. I mean, I do think. I mean, just as far as you know, we, we read into these things, but but honestly, Jaw came on for an interview at, after the game, his return. Um, you know, talk about the pearl dunk. Um, you know, kind of talk trash, and then I, I see the maturity and that he very quickly sort of walked it back a little bit, uh, realizing that he did not want to get go viral and get ca- taken out of context. But uh, but but also, I think he was very he acknowledged that it'd been a lot of games in a row that, you know, a lot of guys in and out of the lineups and that, that they kind of, that the last two Spurs games, that one of the reasons why they were close is because the Spurs play hard, play well, but that, uh, that the Grizzlies had kind of had, you know, like you were talking about with Dylan getting beat back door and kind of making just slug, just that there, there was the attention detail was quite, not quite there. And, uh, and so, you know, and that he seemed to, but it was kind of like an acknowledgement that you know we can win these games, but obviously most other teams uh, this would this would have bit them, and and that's happened in the past by you know by the the four out of five games that we lost over the kind of the holidays, and and for sure you know it's something that I think uh, as we as we go to the games this week uh, there isn't a game that we can overlook this week. So, uh, but but I, I think that's probably the the only other thing I just think but uh but it was good, you know, eight game winning streak. I just feel like we're we're probably taking it for granted. I mean, the Grizzlies this is only this is the second we've tied for the second longest win streak in Grizzlies history. So, you know, if you've been a Grizzlies fan for 20 plus years, you've not seen this very often and so it's fun to to be on this win streak. Uh yeah, Grizzlies history moment actually today. Uh one year ago was the 11th game uh or 11th win in that 11 game win streak so uh notable that these things are weirdly happening like exactly one calendar year apart i i I mean are the grizzlies now going to be the new team of january i don't know something to watch maybe next january uh two more empty the notebook things about those games number one david roddy did not play in both of the spurs games and zaire williams had over 20 minutes in both so i think that's 
you know, maybe a question answered for us there, one that we raised last week. And then the other thing is, I mean, Santi Aldama has quietly just been one of the most solid guys off the bench. And I think just his performance and starting at this at the beginning of the season has completely made us numb to the progression that Santi has made overall. And and just the amazing – it reminds me – it's very Conchar-esque because – like I think we mentioned one of the early weekend updates, how Conchar people forget was completely undrafted. Now he's going to be with the team signed to like a five year deal, or not a five year deal, but you know he's going to be around for at least five more seasons. And now we just have our expectations set for Conchar of what he's going to bring, and that is a true value. Uh, player who can contribute in a lot of ways. Santi's the same way now. Like he's in the same zone where the Grizzlies uh, take some guy out of nowhere and develop him, and now he's in a rotation playing really valuable minutes and has like a positive plus minus every time he's in. I mean, halfway through the summer league, I was on this podcast (laughs) in mid-July basically saying, well, the front office finally made a mistake. Uh, He's not, you know, I don't think he's just, he's, I don't know if he's going to ever amount to anything and thinking about, well, maybe one of these two-way guys or, you know, Roddy or Loravia might be able to fill in for those kind of backup four minutes for Kyle Anderson, Uh, you know, and, and, and like, and that was just a little bit ago. So, I mean, completely, I, com, I you know, I think I, I've completely taken for granted just how good Aldama's been. And, and, and kind of with your, I was going to go back to your, you know, Zaire point. How do you, how have you felt about Zaire um, the last few games? Because I think it's been kind of, kind of a mixed bag. But what, what have you thought? Yeah, my frustration with Zaire is that he, to me, is very methodical. Like, I can see him thinking and I feel as though the the times in which he plays the best are are games are, are times in which the game is a little bit more chaotic, like when he's you know uh, in transition, or if if a play breaks down and he has to to make a quick decision where he doesn't have time to think about it. And I think also at the same time we have seen you know he is very it's very dependent on whether he's making shots or not. And I'd like to see him contribute in more ways than just shooting. If he's making threes, he's hard to guard because he's like 6'10 at this point. And it's just like it's impossible uh, to for anybody to contest his shots. And he had a couple of nice moves to the rim uh, as well, and especially one Spurs game that I was at the Monday game and he made a nice move. But at the same time, I still worry at, that he is you know, obviously still developing. He still needs, he still needs time. Um, but I like the reps that he got in last year's playoffs. I'm hoping that um, he he continues his aggressive, competitive play. Uh, but I have, I'm still not there yet on Zaire, not convinced that, you know, it, I don't know what the expectations should be. I mean, I think our expectations for all of these young guys are, are inflated just because of the overall success that we've had. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's still some things that I, I'm, I'm not, like, thrilled with if Zaire is necessarily having to make a play for himself out of thin air, but I do think see flashes at least. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I just, it's very interesting. I mean, especially when come trade season, things like that. I just, you know, it's interesting thinking, I mean, because I, you know, I, I still find him kind of untradeable because he's just so young, but, but sometimes he does like, you know, it is, I wonder. So I'm hoping, you know, these next few games that uh, he'll get some playing time. We'll get to see some moments from him against some uh, against a little bit of a heightened competition. I think. Oh, bigger stakes. One thing that I just thought of with him, uh, I, w- I have liked the progression of his rebounding. I think that he's yeah. on the de- on the defensive side of the ball, especially. Um, he's he got some key rebounds at the end of um, uh, the Spurs game, uh, the first one at least. 
and I thought that he was um, really impressive in that in that uh, space. And okay, let's get into the games next week. So we have four that we're going to discuss. Oh, Go ahead. Actually, real quick, MVP. Oh, right. My MVP of the week was Tyus Jones. I thought he played an incredible uh, two games that Jaw was out, and then he came in and and still was contributing like nothing had changed with him. And I thought he, I mean, he was the lead shot taker uh, in one of those wins at least. And so I thought that he just came ready to play and was one of the reasons why, I mean, he was literally the go-to guy on offense uh, down the stretch on Monday night. So, yeah. Yeah, and and I too, and I didn't talk about Tyus a bunch earlier um, because I knew he was going to be my MVP as well. Bain with a little bit of an honorable mention, but uh, but Tyus filled in jaw great. He was actually even awesome coming in in this last game, even though he came off the bench again. And and his and I think that's another thing we talk about taking things for granted. I just think his consistency, his ability to come in, like you said, have Will Hardy say, "Well, we got to guard Tyus the same way. We got to keep him out of the paint." and keep him from destroying our defense in the same way that we uh, game plan for jaw just says everything there. And I just, you know, I mean, it's great luxury to have Tyus be able to come in and uh, play, you know, 30 plus minutes and hold it down. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, the games this week, tomorrow night, we're recording on Friday. So tomorrow night we're playing at Indiana. Uh, Monday we're playing against Phoenix at home Wednesday night against Cleveland at home. I'm particularly excited for that one. And then in L.A. to start a five-game road trip, we're playing the Lakers next Friday night. Um, okay, for Indiana, they are 23-19. and 19. Maybe the biggest surprise from a positive standpoint uh, from what their expectations going into the season were now to what their expectations are. They're seventh in the East. They're 15th on offense, 21st on defense for, for a 17th, uh, 17th in net rating. One of the bummers with Indiana is that Tyrese Halliburton got injured a couple of games ago and is now going to be out. I think he's going to be reevaluated in a couple of weeks, but um, he was seen. Oh, leave- I did not. Yeah. That is a surprise to even me. Yeah. So he was seen he wasn't going to be playing. leaving the game on crutches. He took kind of a weird okay. fall. And so we're not going to see Ja versus Halliburton who, you know, has Halliburton got traded for DeMontis Sabonis last season uh, who, you know, Halliburton was drafted by the Kings traded to Indiana and has completely taken the NBA world by storm this season and is now in all-star consideration. Um, and so it's a bummer because we're not going to get to see it from a competitive standpoint. It's definitely better for the Grizzlies because Halliburton is a guy who, like I said, has just performed really well this season and yeah. has been leading Indiana. So what do you think about uh, this game as we get into the previews? Yeah. So, well, so it's funny, you know, I, uh, I was kind of looking forward to that. I was looking forward to Dylan uh, guarding Tyrese Halliburton. And so that, you know, the little bit of talking about uh, Dylan and, you know, I do think that Indiana is good enough to where we are going to bring in that needed focus. Uh, but obviously I was looking forward to watching us against Tyrese Halliburton. And I always like us in these sort of one person, you know, it's actually not a heliocentric offense in that he passed the ball really well. And he really had the ball moves And Indiana is actually a fun, really been a fun team to watch play. But, uh, but I, mean, I was kind of eager to see that. But, you know, a lot of people have said, you know, given, given the Steve Nash comps, which I think is a little, little high for uh, Halliburton at this point. But, uh, but I'll say this. This is very similar. Uh, I think this is the Spurs. It's actually going to be very similar to the Jazz uh, and a little bit like the Spurs in that they run good things. They're going to play well. Uh, you know, they have a good coach. 
in Carlisle uh, that they're going to move the ball around. And so we, you know, and so they will beat us if we don't come and present an effort because I think they're like the Jazz and like the uh, Spurs, but I actually think their talent's a little higher. Uh, you definitely have a Miles Turner who's going to come in and say, why is everybody talking about Jaron as a blocker and three-point shooting unicorn? That's who I am. So I think he's going to have something to prove. Uh, you know, Buddy Heald is another guy who, for whatever reason, seems like uh, he likes shooting threes against us. And uh, anyway, so but I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a good game, obviously a road game. But I think it's a game we should win if we come and bring the right effort. But it has that trap game quality, especially since the next three games, two of which are on uh, two of which are on national TV are going to have are going to be way more sexy. You know, and this is kind of the one game of the four that doesn't have sort of the that isn't as flashy. And so that always makes me nervous. Yeah. And we're playing Indiana in like a week at home. And so. Very much easy to to look ahead to other games. Um, I forgot my, about my guess who that I was going to ask you before we got started talking about these games. So I'll present okay. it. I'll present it now. Um, out of the four opponents, we are playing the top two players so far in three pointers made. Do you know who those players are? Oh, um, so that would be uh, that. I'm going to guess that's Donovan Mitchell. Jonathan and Buddy Heald? Yes, you nailed it. Buddy Heald is oh, at 165 threes, and he leads the league in three-pointers made. Donovan Mitchell has made 145, is second in three-pointers made. I believe Anthony Simons is also tied for second. Um, okay. But, and obviously that's mainly because Steph Curry has been out for the last yeah, few weeks. Yeah, I was, you know, um, I was like, for a second, I was like, do we, are we playing the Warriors this week? I don't think Curry, Already with missing, you know, however many games he did, has hit 136. And so I think, you know, we're yeah. going to be looking up by all-star break. Curry will probably be back out front. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, Heald and Mitchell, two guys who shoot a lot of threes and make a lot of threes. And so, um, if anything, with Halliburton out, I'm kind of hoping that Dylan gets the Buddy Heald assignment so we can see if we can yeah. shut the water off there, as they say. Yes. Um, okay, so looking yeah. ahead now, we have a big Phoenix revenge game. Uh, Dwayne Washington, I will just never forget his name. I would really just want to shut him down more than anything notable. Devin Booker's out. Chris Paul is most likely going to be out. Cam Johnson, most likely going to be out as well. This is the team that's reeling. They're 21 and 22. Yeah. They're below. Is, Ay- is Aiton back, by the way? Because he's day been day-to-day. He, I believe, played. He was questionable, and I think he might have played their last game. Um but we can double check that. They're seventh in the West, offense at eleventh, uh, defense twelfth, net rating of, of number ten. And this team is kind of in an identity crisis right now. Very shorthanded, missing their guys. Um, and you know we're gonna we're still gonna have to come and beat them because we saw that you know their their yeah. reserves are the ones that beat us last time. But um, I'm really hoping for uh, for the Grizzlies t- to get geared up for this game uh, and the one right yeah. after against Cleveland. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, uh, the MLK game's always been a weird game. We seem to not play well. Uh, I mean, we played great last year against the Bulls, but we historically have just not played well for whatever reason um, in our like big national game that we get every year. Uh, but I, I feel pretty good about this one, not only because of all the injuries, but we already lost to a team. Uh, of course, they had Aiton and Paul, but they didn't have Booker. They didn't have Cam Johnson. So, uh, you know, in my mind... Uh, we've already gotten the Dwayne Washington <laughs> game and them coming out and uh, taking advantage of us sort of coming out flat. So we better be ready because this should be a revenge game. And we had, 
we had guys screaming at us and talking trash to us, beating us on our home floor only a couple weeks ago. So we should be ready to go for this game, I think. And 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 also just weird, like you were saying, the weird vibes. Uh, I mean, today an article comes out from Jay, Jay Crowder talking to Chris Haynes about how all the teammates are texting him, being like they miss him and they're ready to come back, but that Crowder just can't come back because of how the management and coaching staff feel about him. Just such just weird, so weird. So I don't. It's because you know, if I was a teammate, I would be like, why did you leave us because you weren't starting? But apparently, there's something else going on. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, a lot of weird vibes there. But it, again, MLK game. I hope for some of our listeners, they're going out to that. Uh, it's a great, a great game for Memphis. Always, always fun. And, uh, you know, hopefully we're going for, for the 10, 10 game win streak, uh, Monday afternoon. Um, so I'm really glad you mentioned that it was the MLK game because I had completely forgotten to put that on my sheet. And therefore I just read it as a just, you know, normal Monday night game. I was looking at the times of the games this week. I think this is probably the only time ever that you're going to see uh, an NBA team play four games in a row, and each game starts at a different time uh, within yep. their time zone. So the Pacers game is at 6 p.m., the MLK game is at 5 p.m., the Cavaliers were playing at home at 7 p.m., and then we go to L.A. and play at 9 p.m. So we're playing at 5, 6, 7, yep. and 9 this week. So nine, yes. if that's not Crazy. confusing enough uh, for a lot of our listeners who you know try to schedule around these Grizzlies games, you know, good luck. This coming week, yeah. you're going to have your work cut out for you. Um, the game I'm most excited about, and I'll actually be, be in attendance, is the Wednesday night game against the Cleveland Cavaliers, who have um, really uh, played very well this season. They're 27-16. and 16. They're fourth in the East. Offenses at a 12th uh, rating. And then uh, defenses, they're the number one rated defense. And so third in net rating. And, you know, Donovan Mitchell was their big acquisition over the offseason season. Um, sent out Laurie Markinen, Colin Sexton, and some picks to Utah in exchange for Mitchell. He has come in and, and been on a scoring tear recently, scored 71 in a game this past week and surpassed 40, I think, a few games later. And Darius Garland has been in and out of the lineup, but they've, they've been playing with uh, Mitchell as their offensive hub. And then they have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley down low who, who give – uh, teams fits as, as sort of a one-two punch uh, in protecting the rim. Sort of, I mean, two of them, uh, Mobley in particular, is, is kind of similar to Jaron. Doesn't quite have the range that Jaron has, but definitely has some of the more you know unicorn-esque qualities. And so I think this is going to be an unbelievable matchup. I think everybody's... I wish this was the national TV game instead of the Lakers one on Friday, because I think it deserves yeah. it. Uh, but I, I'm glad we have home court. We're going to be playing Cleveland. You know, we play them once at home, once away. But I'm glad we're we're, we're playing them now, and hopefully, we'll have a, a full roster of health uh, going into it because it'll be a really fun time. Yeah, I'm hoping we kind of bring the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, that that would be my hope is that the the feel that we had with the Milwaukee Bucks coming in is kind of. I hope that that same same kind of crowd excitement, playoff a little bit intensity to begin the game, and and uh, that same kind of intensity. I'm hoping comes Wednesday. The uh, you know it's it's an interesting because you know they are uh, very similar to us in a lot of ways. They both we we both have these young point guards, uh, you know, uh, all stars. We both have uh, these sh- great shooter scores in Bain and Mitchell. Obviously, Mitchell being more decorated than Bain at this point. We also we both have our unicorns in Jaron Jackson and Mobley. We both kind of have our big centers that sort of can run offense and do a lot of just all the, all the, all the great screens, all the, you know, I think they're actually number one, two in screen assists. I think, uh, Alan 
and Adams, um, you know, and then one of the big differences is for them is they've struggled to find that third guy, uh, that, that other wing where we have Dylan, um, which oftentimes in Memphis, we've wanted a different wing. So I think it's a really cool matchup. I think obviously we have more depth because they traded away their depth to get Donovan Mitchell. And, uh, but you know, Ricky Rubio's back for them now who, and that'll be, you know, that's a tough assignment for like a Tyus, um, or somebody, or a Bain, a tall point guard like that. So I think it'll be, it should be a great game. Um, and it probably, you know, Memphis Cavs, uh, I'll say this, it probably won't, you know, light up, uh, a lot of places, but NBA hipsterdom and NBA Twitter, that is going to be the game of the week, uh, for sure. And so a super exciting game. Isaac Okoro is kind of the poor man's Dylan Brooks. If you yes, um, poor man's Dylan Brooks. Notably, although he they're they're happy if he takes three or four shots in a game. Uh, well, actually, we're hot. We're happy if Dylan only takes three or four shots. But uh, see, the, they work the other way on that. JB Bickerstaff revenge game as well. So be watching out for that. Oh yeah, always, always. Um, Lakers were closing down Friday night in LA. 9 p.m. Lakers are 19 and 23, 13th in the conference, 20th on offense, 17th on defense, 22nd in net rating. Uh, Anthony Davis has been out. Uh, Lonnie Walker has also been out, and it's you know you're you're not looking at a very deep roster when you have to mention Lonnie Walker as a key piece being out. But LeBron still has been, he's been playing really really well recently, and I think part of that is um, we're getting near the trade deadline, so. The Lakers, you know, are turning it on, trying to convince the front office that, um, you know, we need to cash in these future draft picks now uh, for the tr- short-term success. I think it's it's a, a story that I'm already just I, I was tired of, you know, before the even season even started. You've already seen the weird LeBron quotes, kind of over LeBron as well. Uh, so I, I'm very excited. For this game because it's always really fun uh, when we when we beat the Lakers and I know it's in LA it's the start of a road trip but I'm hoping that we'll we'll be coming off of a big game on Wednesday night at home against the Cavs that we're ready for you know what was has made the news before as you know a matchup uh, between teams who who like to talk uh, specifically the Grizzlies who like to talk at the Lakers don't respect them and I'm excited to continue the disrespect on Friday night. Yeah, we've never we've never had a forgettable game uh, at uh, playing the LA Lakers. We've, there's always been whether it be uh, Jaws super viral, maybe still might be his best play of all time, which is his block on the backboard, or or you know the quarter where he just went crazy. I think and scored like 20 points in the fourth quarter, um, but unfortunately missed a free throw at late uh, to tie it. Uh, you know that we just they, we've always played memorable games there. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is if Anthony Davis is not back in the lineup, uh, they basically, they are an unbelievable matchup for us. Uh, the, the one thing, uh, that they do poorly is shoot from the outside. Uh, we do everything else. Great. (laughs) They, they, uh, you know, they struggle to protect the paint. Uh, they don't, they, they kind of like to run, but they're not nearly as good as the teams that really love to run. Uh, so, I mean, it should be it should be a win for us. But at the same time, it's always L.A. LeBron can always turn back the clock and have an unbelievable game. And they definitely have uh, that team has some guys on it that would really love to beat us. And so it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, an ESPN Friday night ESPN West, uh, you know, late night game. Uh, always fun. Yep. So four game slate this week. Huge. Really, really fun. I mean, as sort of maybe. uh 
Like, I mean, I like winning, so I don't mind weeks like the last week we had. But I mean, it is it is night and day. You know, Utah, like vanilla week that we just had, and then four, I think, fascinating, interesting games uh, this week. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, absolutely, and a, a chance to you know repair some some national image. From the last time the Grizzlies were were on ESPN National Broadcast, so um, it'll be a really fun week. We will be back with you. We might have another uh, podcast in the middle of next week with the full gang, but we'll be back with you either way uh, next week. Then, and so until then, for Craft, I will. We'll talk to you next time.